And we're live, friends from around the world. Welcome to The Great Debate. Not a debate where both sides work to defeat one another, rather a debate where both sides work together to find common ground. It's great to have you here with us. Last week, we took a little break. We had a week off. I hope you missed us. I sure missed you. Today, we're going to talk about solutions and narratives. We have two awesome guests. Before I bring them on, just, uh, you know, quick, uh, quick announcements. As always, we're going to do uh, After Party in Discord. Just dropped a link in the chat. You can find that there. A big shout out to our big, uh, a big shout out to our Patreon supporters, our Patreon visionary supporters. We have Trivium Energy PTYLTD. That's a green energy company in Australia. We have SOG Cannabis. That's a cannabis company in California. The green companies love us. And then we have a shout out to Max Marine and Gefford, Geffen Posner, also Patreon visionary members. If you want to become a patron, a patron of ours um, and get your name shouted out, you can find a link to our Patreon in the description. And there are other ways to support us as well. All support is greatly appreciative and it really helps us on our mission to connect between people in conflict. So thank you in advance. If you're new, like, subscribe. It's great to see you here. We hope you stick around. Without further ado, my two guests. To my top left, we have Adiel Cohen, an Israeli influencer who uses TikTok as a political platform to share his ideas around the Israel-Palestine conflict from the Israeli perspective. It's good to have you here, Adiel. Good to be here. And to my top right, Mohammed Faraj is a Palestinian-American from Ramallah. He's an educator who dedicates his free time discussing very, various topics, including the Palestine-Israel conflict and advocating for human solutions to the conflict. So... Great, great to have you both here. I'm, I'm excited for, for this session. Um, two, we got two awesome dudes right here. Um, shout out to everybody in the chat. I, I see you. Good to have you here as well. So b- before we get into narr- narratives, I just want to point something out. I just kind of read off both Adiel and Muhammad's bios. And the bios are generally submitted to me by the guests. I modify them a little bit. But as you saw, Muhammad, in his bio, it says the Palestinian the Palestine-Israel conflict. In Adiel's bio, it's the Israel-Palestine conflict. So just there, we can see a difference in narrative, how the name of the conflict is framed. We're going to start by talking just on the topic of narratives. Uh, Muhammad, uh, you're going to go first. Just share the Palestinian narrative from your perspective. Sure, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Uh, so as far as my experience as a Palestinian both living in Palestine, I grew up. I grew up there for a a large amount, uh, a large chunk of my life. So I would say about nine years. I went to an American school over there, and I also moved back and forth from uh, the United States, where I also live currently, where I currently live. And uh, I've uh, my my ideas of the conflict have changed over time. But something that's remained constant or consistent throughout my life is the um, the rights of Palestinians within the West Bank and the rights of Palestinian refugees that live outside of it and how there hasn't uh, we haven't reached a, a, a solution to reach those their needs 
There are still millions of Palestinian refugees in Jordan, in Syria, in Lebanon that are stateless. They don't uh, have the citizenship of the countries that they reside in and want to come desperately come back to their homes. And so I'm more interested in th- talking about uh, how we reached the point where we are now and what uh, steps need to be taken in order to uh, solve this conflict. And of course, um, acknowledge the pain and suffering of our Jewish brothers and sisters along the way. Uh, but hoping that our uh, that one struggle or one uh, oppression, a version of oppression, does not justify another uh, type of oppression. So, yeah. Thank you, Muhammad. Adiel, the Israeli narrative from your perspective. Okay. Um, I have to say, uh, the word narrative for me, I don't know. I don't know why, like, it's weird to, to, to call it a narrative. Like, we, we are so used to, like, call the other side, oh, like, they have a narrative, but, like, the, the history is on our side. And, like, um, I'm talking about, like, from a, a general um, Israeli perspective. Um, so, like, it was the first time, I think, uh, I heard the term Israeli narrative and it, it kind of like it, it made me like uh, uh, realize some some things you know that like how how we look um, at, at our like relations between Israelis and Palestinians um, regarding our history narratives uh, uh, national aspirations and all that um, so for me I guess growing up as uh, a Jew in in Israel, um, we we tend to forget. I, I'm talking about like the third generation, uh, uh, my generation. We tend to forget that less than a century ago, we a, as a nation, we were still in the diaspora, and everything is so like obvious for us. You know, we have Israel, we have our homeland, um, and uh, it's our home. Uh, we feel connected to it. We don't know any other um, reality without it. But on the other hand, from from young age, we are taught that we have a long and vicious history of diaspora persecution, uh, uh, pogroms, a genocide, the Holocaust, um, exile, obviously, from our previous uh, um, uh, kingdom. And it's always like this balance between fear and and hope. I think for me, like this is what defines the Israeli Israeli Jewish uh, uh, narrative. This balance between uh, fear of going back to that place, to the diaspora where we were um, persecuted, we were weak, we couldn't defend ourselves, uh, we had to. Um, like abide by by the foreign rule that we were under, um, and 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 the hope and the pride of of coming back to to our homeland. Um, it, it, I, I think like it's the biggest part of our identity as a nation. Uh, um, this you know just this balance between fear and hope and, and this pride uh, after we came back to our homeland um, after 2,000 years. It's kind of like this miracle. Uh, this is how we see it. Th- thank you. Thank you, Adele. So, yeah, that it's, it's interesting.
interesting because you, you both shared what I think is our core aspect of each narrative. And, you know, it shows how fundamentally different they are. You have, you know, Adil, you spoke about a story of liberation, of freedom, um, yet the need to protect ourselves because we're scared that this state of liberation is um, under threat. And Muhammad, you, you described um, a state of oppression, a state of lack of freedom and liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, these are the distinct narratives of our people. I guess the question is, how do we get to a place where we are both liberated on the same land? Um, generally, when we ask this question, the, the fingers just point at each other. Although, whoop. So, I, you know, I want us to maybe have a, a more nuanced conversation of how we turn, uh, make this land free for, for all people, free and secure for all people, because that's, you know, that, that's what each side is, is looking for. Uh, Muhammad, do you want to speak on that? Because I, I agree with you, you know, the, the, the Palestinian struggle, Palestinian human rights, they're very, very important to myself and, and most of the, the guests we bring and, and the people on this channel. Um, but most Israelis, and understandably so, value their own security over freedom of uh, another population. Um, so how, how do we push the needle uh, on, on this topic? I mean, I mean, first of all, it's just about talking about it. So I understand right now there is a sort of taboo in Israel society of talking about anything about the Nakba. I'm pretty sure there are some laws uh, about uh, even bringing up word, such words such as Nakba. And to Palestinians, the Nakba is the foundation of what makes us Palestinian. It is the collective experience that we were um, taken over and uh, ethnically cleansed from another uh, population. And so obviously there are many nuances to take into consideration for that. But from the Palestinian perspective, that is our history. Our, we're, ours is a history of being displaced and um, uh, disenfranchised. And so right now the goal is, I believe, is to establish a democratic state within the land where everybody has the right to vote for people that they, uh, for the representatives that represent their ideas and not be ruled over a foreign, what is seen as a foreign military and have their lives dictated by a government where they have no say in what actions are done to them vis-a-vis the occupation and the military jurisdiction of Israel within the West Bank and the, the siege on Gaza. So um, uh, I believe there's a lot to be worked on, like discussing it is, I believe, an important step, step, but also the acknowledgement of our pain and suffering. I feel like the Palestinian Palestinians need to uh, are always put in the spot where they need to humanize themselves to the to uh, uh, the world saying, hey, we're just as humans. We have aspirations just like everybody else. And that's unfortunate because we I, I believe that human rights should be at the forefront of this issue. And I doesn't bring me any joy knowing that, you know, uh, Jews have suffered in Europe or in Yemen or in Iraq or in America. I fully acknowledge that uh, Jews have suffered and continue to suffer around the world. But at the same time, I would I still don't understand that justification for the displacement of my people, the Palestinian people 
and the bad situation that we currently live in. Thank you, Farah. Adil, you wanna, you uh, wanna yeah, build sure. on it? So uh, first of all, I think like I I really I'm really happy that you brought this um, uh, nuance, uh, like this concept of nuance, because um, when it comes to talking about the conflict, I think most people don't have this nuance uh, perspective. It's like either black or white, either Israel or Palestine, and like there is no middle. I think uh, this is how most people see it. And uh, for me, when I uh, advocate for my country, when I uh, talk to, to Palestinians, to Arabs from other, like Arabs from other countries um, about the conflict. Nuance is one of, of the most important things. This is like a, a base, like a, a basic thing for me when we are talking about such a complex uh, uh, conflict. Um, now, I think, and, and I want to I wanna clarify that I am not happy with the current status quo. I'm not happy with uh, um, the situation in the in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, in in Gaza, and uh, the situation of uh, the Palestinian refugees in uh, Arab countries, um, it's it's terrible, and it's part of this uh, ongoing conflict that we need to to you know aim to solve. Um, but and and I'm gonna say like I'm gonna present the the Israeli uh, perspective of why I think. Many Israelis, uh, many Jews have a hard time empathizing uh, with the Palestinian cause. Um, you know, you know, uh, after the the forty seven uh, UN partition plan, the the Palestinian Arab leadership was the one that rejected it. At the end of the day, the, the Jewish leadership accepted it. Uh, even without Jerusalem, even without most of what they were initially promised, uh, because they just wanted a country, they just wanted uh, something to 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 live with. Um, and and what I hear a lot from my community is, if they wanted a country so much, if they wanted independence, I'm talking about the Palestinians, why didn't they accept it? Um, and, and I, I sort of agree, you know, uh, if you are offered something uh, for, for several decades up until the, the, the partition plan, the conflict kept uh, escalating and escalating. And uh, we saw that one state where we share the land is not really possible. So then when we like when the UN offered to part the land, it was also rejected. And not only that, a war was initiated later on by the Palestinian Arab leadership. Um, and, and for Israelis, from, from our perspective, uh, we just keep asking, why? Like, why didn't they accept it? Why did they start the war? Uh, um, maybe all of this wouldn't have happened if they just accepted it. Um, so th that's our perspective on, on this specific issue. Um, I do think that Israelis need to, uh, of course, like about myself as well, to stop fearing uh, uh, talking about this issue because it is an issue and we do need to, to uh, you know, come to terms with the Palestinian people and kind of figure out how we move forward from here. Uh, but I do think that it's understandable why we, like, why it's such a taboo for us, why we 
kind of like no longer care because we see that like this it, it started with with uh, rejection and it, the rejection kept like kept going uh, uh, ever since then and yeah that's pretty much it uh, I, I just wanted to say that like uh, the Palestinian leadership I don't know exactly what deal are you're specifically referring to but most most Israeli negotiators that were there like for example Camp David have stated that these deals were bad and if he was a Palestinian that they would have rejected it. This was the Israeli negotiator at the time of Camp David. We're saying that many of the deals that were given to the Palestinians were bad, but regardless of that point, Palestinians, I I believe like it would, it wouldn't be difficult to understand that like Palestinians would find it hard to try to negotiate with a, um, a government that ethnically cleansed them from their villages in 40, 48, like Palestine. Mandatory Palestine. It's very hard to come to the table and say, "Oh, uh, hey, why don't we just talk this out? Like, why can't we just it, it, discuss this? Why do you keep on rejecting offers when half of like half of their um, ancestors or half half of their uh, descendants are living in refugee camps right now? They're coming from a place of pain, and I think the biggest issue is that it's not acknowledged that anything bad happened to the Palestinians." that there is no recognition that there was a injustice done to the Palestinians in 48 on the establishment of the state of Israel. There are uh, a plethora of quotes from uh, leading Zionists at the time of, uh, of like the beginning of the conflict or the war or the uh, occupation uh, that where they stated that Oh, we need, there are too many Arabs over here. We cannot create a Jewish state with this many Arabs in the land, whether it comes from, um, individuals like, uh, Ben Gurion or Chaim Weissman or any of these, uh, individuals that they're in their diaries. And there are Israeli historians that fully acknowledge that these are, that these are, this is the case. And these are things, thoughts that they've had. There are even instances where, Israeli soldiers were so uncomfortable with the fact that they had to kick out Palestinians from the villages that they had to like be treated for like trauma for their expulsion of like these villages. And so like, I'm not trying to paint Israelis as um, these uh, soulless evil entity. There were obviously people, there are documents saying that like, you know, some of these soldiers had trouble uh, exiling or uh, depopulating ethnically cleansing these villages and it's there it's all in the archives it's israel has no problem showing it up but i just don't know why it's not discussed enough um so yeah that, that, that's 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 my concern and like like i said like listen i have no issue with um i understand that jews have a connection to uh the idea or the concept of Eretz Israel and of uh living in the land and that sort of thing but at the same time, I feel like that shouldn't come at the expense of another people's right to self-determination, especially when they were living there uh, prior to uh, what, uh, what what we now know as the Jewish return to their homeland. Right? Uh, I, it just doesn't it just doesn't add up to me. If I hope you understand what I mean. Yeah, I I completely understand, and I agree with you on that. Um on the idea that we do need to, to talk about it. Uh, uh, like I said, um, we need to, to come to terms and, and negotiate. And I think it, it starts from, you know, from us, from the people themselves. I am not a politician. I don't really care about uh, 
like politics of, of like the politics of, of this uh, conflict uh, or like what the solution is. I'm just here to talk with the Palestinians and hear the perspective. But like I said, um, for me, nuance is the most uh, important thing when we talk about uh, the and there are two there are two main narratives on both sides of of, uh, of the conflict. One is that Israel expelled all the Palestinians and um, you know ethnically cleansed them uh, in in this like systematic process of like eth like ethnic cleansing. And the other narrative is that uh, they all left. Uh, all the Palestinians left on their own. Both of those narratives are wrong, and I I love looking into into the the history of, of the conflict and especially this war because it's so nuanced and and again it's not like this black and white situation. Um, both Israelis and Palestinians, in my opinion, need to uh, realize that it's not like it's not one way or or the other. It's a bunch of reasons that caused the displacement of the Palestinians. Um, on on every quote you you present of a Zionist leader, I can show you another quote by Arab leaders that really call for ethnic cleansing of the Jews uh, from the river to the sea, or um, Azam Pasha from uh, the Arab League who said. Uh, blood is going to, to be spilled uh, Mediterranean like rivers or something along these lines. Um, Absolutely, and they're wrong. They're wrong. Of course, they're bad yeah, people. You know, <laughs> um, we, we all know that like we, we can't you know blame each other for the actions of the leaders back then. But it's so important to understand this nuance. It's so important to understand this, uh, like all those little details that led up to this war that that like all this up, like the upbringing of, of the conflict you mentioned Heim Weizmann before like before the war i think like 20 years before that um, he was in in touch with uh, uh, the king of iraq back then i don't remember his name I'm, i apologize but the king of iraq himself he said that we need to come to terms with the zionist movement and we need to embrace it uh, he saw it as a possibility, an option to um, reunite with their long lost cousins. And to, to say that, like, from the beginning, the Zionist leaders uh, planned to ethnically cleanse uh, uh, the land of the Arab population, I don't think it's true. I can't believe it because I, I, I see a bunch of, of mixed opinions that evolved with the conflict as the conflict escalated um if we go like if we go back all the way to the beginning of modern zionism with with herzl if you actually read his his books he specifically says that haifa is this beacon of coexistence between arabs and jews and and the arabs are like all in high positions and um like he had a very clear uh, um, vision of coexistence. This is for me what I see. This is for me like the, the vision that uh, got lost in, in this conflict. Um, but it's also, know, like, I, just wanna, I just want to point out, like it's also documented that Herzl said that like we need to, <laughs> there needs to be a population change in order for um, 
Jewish state to exist. This was this was something that was parroted by many Zionist leaders from the beginning of the before Israel was ever thought. The thing was is that, and I, I just wanted to like correct something in the sense that like. Arab leaders do not represent the Palestinians. I'm, I don't know if you know uh, what Falahi is. We're like peasantry. We're the peasants of like uh, the land of uh, Palestine to us. And we did not have any political representation. We were just farmers that were doing our own thing. And then, and like most of the refugees uh, that were um, kicked out, like from Lid and uh, from Lod and Ramallah, and ended up in Ramallah, are farmers that ended up getting kicked out. They weren't the Arab League members, they weren't the kings of Iraq or they weren't, these were just normal peasants that didn't have representation and were just quite frankly, just driven off the land because they were, they're easy to kick out. They're poor. They didn't really have, they didn't know anything about like this whole nation building idea. And so they were just easy to kick out. And I understand, listen, like it's hard to build a Jewish state when you have so many non-Jews in the area. And the point is, my the point is that I'm trying to make is that maybe it's time for a state for both peoples. Maybe it's time where we make a state for Palestinians and Jews. It, it that could completely happen. That could it would there's plenty of examples of two ethnic groups that um have lived side by side and developed a form a, a, a mechanism that works. I mean, it, is it possible that Palestinians and Israelis like will love each other like like I don't know brothers and sisters? Maybe not, but it doesn't have to be that serious. The goal is the the main goal is is just to have an like have the enfranchisement of Palestinians within like the land because like it, it sucks to me like it, like like it's quite frankly I was watching like some of the your TikToks just to like prep and stuff and so it's unfortunate to see that like if like an Israeli like if an Israeli soldier stops me on a which happens quite frequently like happens when I'm like traveling between cities. If he, like, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes they don't give you any trouble. Most of the time they don't give you any trouble. But if one of them decides to give you some trouble, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> What's me as a Palestinian? What can I do? Do I call up uh, Beit Il and tell them, hey, I would like to rate this uh, uh, soldier uh, four out of 10 because he, uh, you know, hit me w- with the butt of his gun? I can't do anything about it. And it's unfortunate. That shouldn't be the way uh, people, uh, a na- like a native person to the land should be treated. And me, I live a, I live a, a, I live a relatively decent life. I'm not person. I've, there are many Palestinians that have suffered way more than I've ever imagined of suffering. And it just like it just having a taste of it is just made me think like this is insane. How could anyone accept this? How could anyone defend a system like this? Obviously, there are going to be you know terrorists and all these sort of things. But at the end of the day, this this system that Israel has in place now perpetuates violence and is in the long term harmful for everybody. It's not no one benefits from it. It's not good for Israelis. It's not good for Jews. It's not good for Palestinians. And it's definitely not good for humanity from a human perspective. And so like there needs to be something that addresses the concern without the without um without uh alienating the rest of the world from uh, alienating the like Palestinians from society. Like I, you could live in Ramallah your whole life and never meet an Israeli. All you see are soldiers. And then, you know, when you're in a situation like that, you can develop all kinds of weird ideas. You don't know, you, you don't know what, what an Israeli is because you've never seen one. All you know is that they're soldiers and they're occupying your land. And sometimes they say mean things to you when you're at checkpoints or they'll laugh at you or they'll make, they'll, they'll make sneers and jeers at you. 
that's all you know of them. And it's just like, it's, it's hard. It's hard to like try to understand like, Oh, there's like different sort of narratives we need to understand. And like, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it, it's very difficult from that position. Uh, just to clarify. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I want to say, first of all, that, uh, again, like I said, I don't advocate specifically for any solution. I do know that two state solution for me doesn't seem viable in any way. Um, like, I don't think it, it ever worked from the beginning. Like, it, it never worked. Uh, and, like, we, we did try to, to give away land for, for peace. Um, and then, like, we saw what happened. And it, it didn't really go that well. So I don't think... Well, what are you specifically referring to, if you don't mind me asking? To, to Gaza. Now, I, oh. I do know that it's not, like, the most, like, uh, like the, the best solution that, uh, like, they could come up with. But um, just the, the idea of giving away land for peace kind of, like, backfired at us and the Palestinians. Um, I, I don't believe in dividing the land. I think the land is one, and I think that everyone in this land should live in dignity with full rights and equal rights, whether they're Jewish uh, uh, or Arab or Palestinians or whatever they decide to refer to themselves. Um, and I, I completely agree with you that ultimately I would like to see the IDF out of Judea and Samaria. I would like to see the IDF in the borders where an army should be um, and not among civilian uh, population, uh, especially not in the heartland of what I could be uh, my homeland, what the Jewish people claim to be their homeland, uh, Judea and Samaria, where all our holy and historical sites are. Um, to me, it's heartbreaking. And ultimately, I would like to see this status uh, quo end, including the wall, uh, as much as Israelis are terrified of you know the the consequences of the second intifada and i completely agree i i'm not saying the wall should go down tomorrow the wall or the fence uh, it's mostly a fence to be honest um but it doesn't matter it's a barrier and it should go down especially when it divides our homeland uh and, and prevents from those two populations to come together and you know start heading towards peace um now, I have a lot of criticism towards the PA and UNRWA that in like, along with, uh, with the Palestinian experience with Jews, which is like mostly with IDF soldiers, completely understandable why they would hate them. Uh, I believe that the PA and UNRWA and Hamas in Gaza, they don't do anything to, to help that. In, if anything, they just make things worse and like add more fuel to the, to, to the fire. Um, uh, it, it's pretty well known and well documented that uh, the, the curriculum in in schools in in those regions uh, are very anti-Semitic. And at the end of the day, I would like to see the, the PA not exist anymore. I do think that we need to come up with some sort of a, a solution uh, of a government that represents both people that takes care of both people and, and ensures rights, freedom of movement, which I think is the most important thing. Um, and, and the end of, of the hatred, of the animosity. Along with my criticism of, of the PA and, and UNRWA, I also have criticism towards the Israeli government. 
uh, I, as an Israeli, who is very proudly Jewish, Zionist, Israeli, this is like my my personality, like my entire personality. Um, the fact that I only met an Arab when I got to the army, for me, it's outrageous. We live together, we work together, like we, we are in the workforce together. Uh, Arabs make up one third of, of the doctors in, in Israeli hospitals. It's crazy, you know, considering their uh, um, like percentage in, in uh, like of the total population. And I do think that we we need to. How do I say it? I do think that the Israeli government could do more to bring those two populations together. I'm talking about first Jews and Israeli Arabs, not even the Palestinians. But I think that Israeli Arabs or Israeli or Palestinian citizens of Israel, whatever you want to call them, I want. I, I know that it's like controversial. Um, I think that they could be. Uh, our bridge to the Palestinians um, at the end of the day. I would like to see more joint operations, joint uh, activities between Jewish and Arab schools in Israel uh, to get to know one another. I would like Israeli schools, like Jewish schools, to teach Arabic from, you know, from uh, uh, second grade, like they do with English. Because uh, the, the way I see it now, I, I work in a hotel with many Arabs and Palestinians from Judea and Samaria that come with permits. And many of them know Hebrew. But most of Israeli Jews, I don't think they know Arabic. And I think that these are the, the little things that um, could, influ like, could influence the entire population to come together you know, to communicate with one another and to, to most importantly, to humanize. Because once we get to know each other, once we, we, we see each other eye to eye, um, and not as this oppressor versus oppressed, terrorists versus uh, uh, civilians or whatever, this is the only way, I think, to peace. Um, I think we were kind of like indoctrinated that a solution will bring peace. It's either one state or two state, and this is like this is what we we should see, but like what we should aim for. But I don't think a solution would bring peace if there is no peace between the people themselves. I think that first of all we need to achieve peace between the people, and then we and then come up with a solution. Um, I think I rambled, but uh, yeah, I'm done. No, th th thank you, Adil. A lot of good points, Farge. Before you go, I just want to. Because we're moving into some new topics, I do kind of want to summarize a little bit about the difference in narratives that that we touched on. So, uh, you know, Adil explained uh, Palestinian rejectionism, how they've how our narrative is that Palestinians continuously reject every peace agreement. So, you know, in in our discourse, in our narrative, it you know, we say, obviously, peace is on them. We've tried. They keep rejecting it. There's nothing more we can do. Far as as what what you explained is, um, a Palestinians haven't felt like the deals were were good enough, and b you feel like there's a very difficult history, primarily the Nakba, which has not been addressed, acknowledged, or reconciled, and that you feel is a very important part of the process. Also, most importantly, is like the Israeli negotiators themselves admitted years later that the deals were bad. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. And and then because there's I, I um, think any any two state solution was meant to fail, in in my opinion, I, at least. I I, I think from both sides. I think in time that that notion is becoming more clear. You know, it seems like most of the people we've had on the show do not support the two state solution. This is not intentional. This is just how how it uh, turns out to be. What one one idea I want to put out there because I, I think we need to start talking about it more. Um, Israeli military presence in the West Bank, it causes a lot of harm to the Palestinian people. It's a form of collective punishment. Um, they are harmed at, for our own security, right? To keep the Jews in the West Bank safe, we need to collectively punish the Palestinians. Not only in the West Bank, by the way, but like all over Israel. Yeah, but there, it, the the military presence would be much less felt if they were simply on the border and not going through towns. You know, it's like a, one of the reasons there's so many checkpoints, there's there's home searches. Um, the, the military presence is, is, is so felt, not just not just because it's troops on a border, it's actually you know, yeah. troops within no. the land. So the, the, this is something we need to find a solution to. And, and I know many, many Palestinians have the notion just they want a uni- unilateral pullout. Um, you know, that that to Israeli sounds crazy because we're not just going to leave the Jews there uh, without security. And then Palestinians may say, we'll pull pull all this, the citizens out as well. That's half a million people. There's, there's really no political discussion about doing that whatsoever. I'm trying to ground these ideas in pragmatism and, and reality, but I think there, there's something we can do to drastically reduce the harm the military force causes, and that is remove the military force, have it be a civilian peacekeeping force of Israelis who speak fluent Arabic, who are highly trained, who treat the Palestinians with dignity and respect, and in time build that force to not just be Israelis, but have it be a Palestinian-Israeli peacekeeping force that keeps the citizens of the land safe and treats them as equal. This is within the realm of reality. This is something we could work towards. So I do want to put it out there because we do need to start making this part of the national conversation. We need to, we need to withdraw the military and we need to replace it with the civilian peacekeeping force instead of a military force. We cannot, our security cannot be at the expense of another population's well-being. Um, that's my also, that, that's my interjection as a moderator, but it was important for me to say. Um, Absolutely, no problem. Um, I, I was gonna say that um, it's also important that like there are already like Israeli police um, already are in the West Bank. They they most of them speak Arabic. I feel like the police has a lot more Arabic speakers than the soldiers uh, than the army does. Uh, but also the um, I feel one thing that Israel can do tomorrow to make things easier is give Palestinians easier time getting Israeli citizenship. It just makes no sense to me that me, a Palestinian, I was born in Jerusalem. Don't got a, don't got a blue ID though. I'm, I'm, I'm not from Farage, there. Do, do, do you think yeah. they would accept that? Do you think Palestinians would accept an Israeli citizenship? I mean, listen, w- 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 whether Palestinians accept it or not, just have it out there. Just as a show of goodwill. Just say like, here, if you guys want it, you guys can take it. And that just leave it like that, and maybe that could help in terms of uh, slowly integrating Palestinians, if that's what Israel wants. Because whatever the situation is now is not sustainable, and it's not going to last very long. I don't think so. And uh, another an- another thing is that um, uh, in terms of, I-, I wanted to just address this point of like the the PA curriculum. I I like listen like the PA they have their problems. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to sit here and defend the PA, uh, but like. I've 
what I've used the PA curriculum from like fourth to 12th grade, not one textbook has ever said anything anti-Semitic. You can go look it up. If anyone knows, if you have a friend that speaks Arabic, you can go look up the PA Arabic curriculum or anything curriculum, but it's all up there. There's nothing, there's not an anti-Semitic thing. They talk about the Nakba and they talk about like, uh, you know, the suffering of Palestinians and poetry. And we, we learned about all these Palestinian poets, Mahmoud Darwish, Fadwa Tukon, and all these individuals. But I don't, I was never taught. I had, I had a kid in my class who asked the, told the history teacher, uh, said that, oh, like started questioning the Holocaust. The teacher kicked them out of the class. This was in like 10th grade. This was in Palestine. Kicked them out of the class. This, this whole, this whole thing may, Maybe in Gaza it's a different situation. I don't know what's going on in Gaza, but this whole idea that like, oh, in, in the West Bank, we're taught, um, oh, we're taught to hate Jews. And it's just like, it's in our curriculum. There is us. I, I'm a graduate from the West Bank. I'm in America. I don't, I don't think I'm anti-Semitic, you know. Uh, I, there, I've never gotten the impression that like, uh, I'm supposed to hate Jews for being Jews or something like that. Everything was in the context of the conflict, in the context of the occupation, in the context of nightly raids of the night invasions of the shooting of children of all these sort of things it was nothing and like like i said i'm a person that very much appreciates jewish history and the suffering that jews have gone through the world i am something i'm someone that deeply sympathizes with that but at, at the same time i will never i just find it troubling to use the suffering of jews whether it be in like the, the programs in russia or the holocaust in germany and poland and use that to justify the ethnic cleansing of like Palestinians. That's really my concern. Is that that like I, I want a state where anybody has a right to move into the land and set up uh, and be part of a, a greater community of uh, Palestinians, uh, Muslims, Christians, and Jews, or Israelis, or whatever identity they want they, they want to hold they they want, they want to hold. So that's uh, that that's one way I'm like thinking about it and yeah i had something else to say but it'll come back to me shortly i feel though muhammad that your um uh like a unique voice within your community from my uh experience and again i'm not generalizing i'm, I'm saying you know just from my experience i also like i served in uh, judea and samaria for a short period period of time uh, of my military service and like we've seen um, preachers at mosques inciting to to terror we, we've seen uh, uh, books that were in Palestine that you know, that will that, that will not oh. listen during the siege of Gaza 2014 the siege when 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 Israel was dropping white phosphorus on Gaza uh, a chemical warfare the, 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 that Friday, the sheikh, the, the, the preacher in the mosque was talking about marital rights and how, how, like, how, how like to divide the dowry of, uh, you know, to your children. That same, that same, so, Friday, the day so before, again, they're, they're, you know. Again, that's my perspective. That's my experience. And I, I've seen it firsthand. And it, most of the Palestinians I talk to, unfortunately, I'm, I'm saying it with, like, I'm, it, it's sad to me. Many of them told me that there's no Jewish education. Uh, there, there's no uh, uh, education about the Holocaust or who the Jewish people are. Um, a girl from Janine with whom I've talked 
a while back, she told me that uh, she specifically wasn't taught to hate Jews, but they just don't talk about them. Another girl I talked to told me that they like they are actively taught to to hate Jews or uh, to deny the Jewish history. Um, talking about how Jews came all of a sudden from Europe, um, like poof. But that's going to vary from like family out. to family, right? As long so, as it's not the curriculum of the the government's not the PA itself is not saying, listen, you need to teach your kids to do this. Then listen, I'm like, really, I'm not like the biggest fan of the PA. I don't want to sit here. I, I don't, I'm not, no, I completely understand, understand, but you know, like, other, other studies, um, proved otherwise. Uh, um, even the countries that fund UNRWA, for example, they found that in their books, in their textbooks, there are anti-Semitic narratives and like, it, it needs to be acknowledged in, in my opinion, um, that and the incitement of the PA itself against the Jewish people. Uh, and I completely agree with you that I think, especially in Jerusalem, Palestinians should have it easier to apply for citizenships. But when it comes to like the greater, the greater picture, I can, I can also understand why for Israelis or like the Israeli government, it's hard to, to do it because they see that on the other side, there's a system that, that incites for hate and anti-Semitism. And this is like a fear that not only I share, but I think most Israelis. Um, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I, I, I hear you. And but, uh, the, the point is, is that like, I think maybe you're probably right. There needs to be, I'm not going to say here that we were taught about the Holocaust every day of our lives. Or we were taught about Jews suffering every day of their life. But it's, it's, you have to understand from a Palestinian perspective, it's when you have, when the context is very strange for us to start talking about this thing because we are right now occupied by Israel. They control like everything that's going on about us. And at this point, we can't even help ourselves yet. It seems like Israel is asking us to like sympathize, I believe, which is very important. But it's like, we don't even, we, we, we have no power. We have no control over our own destiny. And yet we're, we seem to ask like for more, to give Israel more sympathy when we're not even given our basic human rights, you know, you know, I can't. No, like, I, it's I, very, I really understand. It's, it's not sympathy that we ask for. It's more of like recognition of our existence, of our connection to the land, of our history to the land. But yeah, little, I like, like very few of the, of the people of your community um, that I've talked to that actually know about like Jewish connection to the land and and the Jewish history, uh, uh, and that's like in the good case if they don't deny it. And again, like I don't no, generalize, absolutely. and and like I said, I have like tons of coworkers uh, from the West Bank in my like ho- like the hotel I, I work at. And we, we have the great like the greatest conversations. I sit with them for lunch every day. Uh, and, you know, we're friends. I can see the peace happening on the ground. But with that happening, like there's also a very huge problem that needs to be fixed um, in in the Palestinian community and in the Palestinian government for for us, for Israelis to fully feel uh comfortable 
with uh, uh, the Palestinian people, the Palestinian cause, uh, um, and coexistence eventually. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the thing is, Ariel, which I feel like I have a trouble discussing this with a lot of other uh, Zionists and Israelis, is that having a particular connection to a land does not, in practicality, doesn't really justify anything. I would love for, I would love to live in a country where all Jews are welcome to come to Israel and feel connection, their land to the the connection, their, their, their Jewish connection to Eretz Israel. Like, I would love that. But like having a, like the having a kingdom uh, 3,000 or whatever thousand years ago does not justify it. And like, I feel like it's not an argument that would quite frankly be used by anyone else. Like we wouldn't use the argument that African-Americans have a right to the Congo or Angola. Because do, they, do they claim do they claim right of return to the Congo or Angola? If, but even if, if they did, does that mean that they could? If they did, does that mean they can go to a random hill in the Congo or Angola and just say, yep, this is mine? Uh, whoever's I, here, I definitely <laughs> think they, they can advocate for it if they have their national aspirations. Um, that's, they can that's come in point. and like uh, my idea is that they could come in and join with everybody else and we can form a unity government where everybody has equal rights. But the idea of Israel is to create a Jewish state, to make an exclusive state for one ethnicity over others. It's okay to have Arabs in the it's, state. It's completely fine it's, as long as they're a minority. Though. It is a misconception though because the, the first leaders that came to this land didn't talk about Jewish majority or expelling Palestinians or, or whatever that like this idea only came later when the conflict started happening and, and like the, the violence started like escalating more and more and more. Um, mm -hmm. The our right for self-determination, our right to establish, to reestablish uh, a Jewish entity in the land that we're indigenous to, in the land that we come from, uh, in the land that we we've stayed for under 2000 years of uh, uh, like different colonizing powers, it doesn't contradict with giving the Arabs or the, the non-Jews, the Palestinians who live in this land full equal rights. It's just that from the beginning, it, it wasn't accepted. The, the, the return of the Jewish people to the land wasn't accepted by uh, uh, some of the Palestinian people and mainly we had no power. Leadership. We had no power. The Ottomans were controlled, and the British were under control afterwards. And the Ottomans let many Jews immigrate, and the British halted True, it for but, a little. But, but, then still, still had, but they still had their local governments, and they still had the High Arab Committee, which was extremely anti-Semitic, and they were very clear with their intentions. Um, so, like for, for us, when people say, "Oh, how?" Like, how can we sympathize with, uh, like, a Jewish state? Uh, how can we sympathize with uh, the Zionist movement? Now, I understand, like, I don't expect anyone to identify as a Zionist, but I do expect people to recognize our right to do so, you know, with equal rights to everyone in the land. Um, uh, I'm talking about, like, from the beginning. Nowadays, it's a bit different because there's a whole conflict going on. Um, so people think differently. But I still believe in like the old idea that we can live here in peace in a civilization that is Jewish enough for the Jewish people, that we can control our fate, that we don't need to be feared to, to be like uh, to fear of 
persecution, of pogroms, uh, of foreign rule, that we can have access to our holy sites, which till today we don't have. Um, Neither do we. <laughs> we. I can't go to the Aqsa. Well, yeah, <laughs> but we can't. We can't even pray there. Like we, we can. Muslims can you enter. Guys can, you guys can go. Yeah, most Muslims can go. I live two kilometers yeah. away from that Aqsa. I still can't go. I've never. I've been there once when I was a little kid, and I've never been there since. And it's it's yeah. It's like there's nothing I can do. If you go around Kalendia, where or Kufraqab, where all are around like Jerusalem, you can just see a nice big wall that makes it clear and, that. And, and again, it's, it's yeah. terrible in my opinion, and I do think that freedom of movement should be established for all the people there. But even like Israeli Jews who live in Israel, who have access to Jerusalem, we can't pray there. We can't, we can't enter there like freely. We can only enter there for like two hours a day, four hours a day. For many Israelis, it's a very huge point, especially religious Israelis. Um, but we, Jews we just still do have access still, to the Kotel, don't they? Jews still have access to the Kotel, right? The, the Kotel, to the wall, the Kotel to the wall. Not, yeah, the Kotel is not the, the you know, it's not the I main mean, thing. The Kotel is I, like... I understand, the, I understand. There's like the, the Beit HaMikdash and all that. It's very important and such. But you have to understand, like, I feel like the comparison is odd since, like, Israelis, even they, even like regardless if their their access to like the Temple Mount, they still don't. Uh, they still have an opportunity to go for a small time. Yeah, obviously they can't pray or whatever, but they can go pray to the Wailing Wall. They can go to the Wailing Wall. Palestinians can't go like we like. I can't go outside Ramallah. Like where could I go? I could go to Ramallah, maybe uh, then you Iran on a good day us, that, in a couple cities. That's all I got. But like at least like I had to compromise. What is it? I'm I'm saying Sorry. for us the Wailing Wall is a temporary compromise. For us, it's not like we're still restricted of our holy site, and this but is we're restricted concern. of everything else. Adil, we're restricted of everything else. We can't. Yeah. We, we can't go. We can only go to Ramallah. Like I'm talking, I'm from Ramallah. I, we can only go to four cities in the West Bank. Anything else is off limits. We need to get special permission, and if we're lucky, uh, maybe like we can get a tourist visa. We, like listen, we're tourists in our own country. We 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 can get like a. Like uh, like the, the the I don't know the permission slip or the tesarek we call it, and we can go in for twelve hours and we got got, got to come back fast. So you know j- just to make sure that like our our restriction of movement is beyond comparison. Like I understand, like I, I completely understand that Israelis have their concerns and there's a lot to consider, but it's it's troubling when it's like compared like to like we're like you know it's like oh like both sides and like we each have our concerns. Like the, the life, the life of an average Palestinian. Like uh, uh, the things that pa- a, a an average Palestinian in a village of like Burin, or I was just watching a video. Thank God for like uh, like organizations like Beit Salem that like show um, what's going on. Like of settlers just attacking farmers and stuff. And you know, listen, like I'm not gonna deny they're like Palestinians. They go and, like let's say they'll start throwing rocks, Israeli cars and stuff. But to the at least they'll arrest those Palestinians, right? What? Who's arresting these settlers? Who's who's who? If the soldier decides to smack somebody in the head, who's going to do anything about that? If a lot of these reports, Haaretz, Beit Salem, Yeshdin, all these organizations, they they these are the only which, which some of them, about. which some of them, I have to say, are not the most reliable uh, uh, organizations. But I understand your concern. I am against any violence 
from the Jewish community in the West Bank, in Judea and Samaria. But don't you think that all this, all the restriction of movement wouldn't have happened if, you know, from the beginning, you, you know, the, the, the Palestinian Arabs or the Palestinian leadership would just accept our existence in the land and, you know, cooperate and, you know, aim for a joint future? Because I, I still think that it doesn't happen. Like, I, I don't think uh, the Palestinian leadership or even the Palestinian people, uh, many of them, are ready for this because, like Because the thing is, it's just like, quite frankly, because people, uh, Israelis have a problem with acknowledging that anything bad happened to the Palestinians. How, how do you want Palestinians to want to negotiate and say, hey, let's meet halfway, when like the, our whole, like the, the primordial um, experience of us being ethnically cleansed is not even acknowledged. It's not even acknowledged what has happened to Palestinians. What happened in like Deir Sin is probably one instance where it's like sort of like acknowledged. Everything else, there's like you can go on Wikipedia. There's a list of hundreds of villages that have been raised and depopulated, and it's just like, yeah, it's not. It's I, no, I have, it was it was an oopsie. It was a mistake. <laughs> you know? I have a question. No, I don't think it was yeah. an oopsie. I think it was a huge war that was bloody as hell, um, but. Considering that the newly established, even before the, the state of Israel was established, uh, uh, the, the Jewish people who were a minority right after the Holocaust, okay, it was right after our people suffered a genocide, they were offered a state, they accepted it, and they saw that their counterparts, the Arab leadership, did not accept it, and not only that, also waged a war against them. Do you understand our need to retaliate in this case? I'm not no. talking about the, the things that happened during the war. I'm talking about like the the mere need to retaliate. Uh, here's the thing. Then another another point I wanted to point out is that like the Arab it, it, leadership. Like the context, all these... That's like the context of it. That that's all. No, I, I, yeah, I, I understand. Uh, I understand your point. It's just that like uh, that pal that. Like, again, a lot of these people that were kicked out, they weren't the family members of these Palestinian leaders. These Palestinian, or the Palestinian leaders, the Arab leaders that were, like, fighting Israel at the time, half these people didn't really care about, like, Palestinians either. They, they don't, they don't, in the end of the day, the Palestinian people were, most of them were peasantry, they were farmers, they had no political power, they had nothing to offer, uh, quite frankly. So the Arab leaders were just doing their own thing to, like, try to, you know, it's not like all these, all the Arabs in the world were, like, collaborating and say, oh, we need to display, you know, like Palestinians had their own things, like we're trying to do their own thing. And Arab leaders decided to say like, hey, we want a slice of this um, of this new uh, piece of land that's up for grabs. You know, you know what I mean? And like the, the experience of like in the end of the day, like half the, the people that were expelled, the weren't they weren't combatants. They weren't civilians. They were farmers. They were you can look at the picture. There's still pictures out there of like how these Syrian refugees, they're not. They're not militaries. Military. They're old ladies, old men, old women, uh, old uh, young children. Like you know, people that were like right now and their descendants live in refugee camps. And like, listen, yeah, there, there, there were, there were, Pal there were Palestinians, or there were like not, uh, yeah, there were Palestinians that were like militants that were fighting back. But like, what do you expect them to do? To just like say, okay, yes, take take our houses and we accept our second class. We say we accept our second class status as uh, I, I don't think I don't think uh, Arabs in Israel or Palestinians in Israel are second class citizens uh, 
those who accepted the presence of, of Israel, Abu Ghosh, I think, is a great example, live in peace. And, you know, Abu Ghosh is the beacon of, of coexistence in Israel, I think. Um, I, I don't think the again, it's like, this is what I see uh, uh, a lot among uh, uh, Palestinians I talk to. Um, this idea that we wanted from the beginning to impose this like second-class citizenship and and apartheid and all other buzzwords. First time we, we say apartheid in this uh, uh, discussion, which is like, very surprising. Um, and I, I don't think it's true. Like I, from what I see, from what I read, uh, um, you know, reading both sides of what happened, reading, you know, quote, I think I froze for a bit. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. you're back though. You're okay. back, yeah. Um, like saying that this whole war was uh, just like, ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians, uh, uh, like deliberately. Other other studies show otherwise, that many other reasons brought to the displacement of, of Palestinians. And I'm talking only in the context of that time. I'm not talking about displacement. Obviously today, I, I get displacement in like any way. Uh, obviously, it's not the way to solve anything. But when we're talking about that, like yeah, the, the entire Arab world. Oh, you're back. Wow. Okay, I don't know what to do. Like I. No, I think it's, I think it's, it's fine. Now. It's it's fine now. You can go. Okay. Ahead. Cool. So like when when the Israeli leadership and when the, the the Jewish people back then saw that the entire Arab world is just like clearly trying to to annihilate them. Um, I, I think I'm freezing. I don't know why, because like my internet is weird. But I think we could still hear you. I think we could still hear you. Oh, even okay. if even if even if your camera freezes. Um, okay, I I hope yeah, we can still hear the audio. And you can see, like Arab leaders encouraging uh, um, the, the the Arabs to to flee, especially the the women and the children. And you can see incitement towards like go fight uh fight the jewish people and it's all out there now during the later parts of of the war the later part of the war there were like explosions this is exactly what i said about this like narrative that like israelis say that no no one was expelled it's just like uh, uh they all left and the palestinians say that uh they were all expelled it's just not true neither of them uh and it's proven. So Palestinians were ex Palestinians were expelled. So you you have you have during, uh, lines during, from during the later during the later parts of the war, in certain areas, they were, but to say that the entire war was with a clear intention of expelling the 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 entire Palestinian population is just not true. And we we can uh, still I see have, I have the, a Arabs, are, are the Arabs that stayed there. The Arabs that stayed there, and you know didn't fight and they live there till today i have a question ideal do you would you be comfortable with a state uh with a democratic state where the population is 50 percent arab and 50 percent jewish the current in the current situation in the current, the current, like, current uh, situation uh, no 
Why not? And because currently there's still animosity between the two people. I'm being completely honest here, uh, and I'm all for equal rights, and I'm all for uh, uh, giving rights and citizenship to to the Palestinians who are peaceful and willing to to live in peace. Um, but in the current situation, when I see that it's a risk of of my own people, I would have to choose the safety of my people. Understood. And uh, I just wanted to point out that, like, I, I'm telling you, it wasn't. Um, I'm pretty sure there were, like I said, there were soldiers that uh, were very uncomfortable with the idea of ethnically cleansing, and they needed to go, like, had to clear, get some a breath of fresh air after all that work. Uh, but like, there's even like documents of. There is like in like the library in in the diaries of Ben Gurion, all these in, individuals, all these Zionist leaders had a clear cut ideas of uh, saying like you know, uh, them, <laughs> you know, uh, drive them out. <laughs> but again, but we need to 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 see the context of which this whole thing happened. It didn't start. That specific with, context, they were saying, "What do we do with the Ramla? What do we do with yeah, the Ramla?" There's so many Arabs over because here. At the yeah. later, yeah. So, guys, so real quick, real quick, we, I, I don't want to get stuck. Uh, you know, we, we've spoken about the Nakba quite a lot. It is contested. It seems like most historians do do acknowledge there was some amount of ethnic cleansing, and we do know that Israel, you know, had aspirations to to want a Jewish state. You need a a, a demographic majority. Um, the counterclaim is that some were left because they were told from Arab, um, other Arab countries to leave. Some just left in, in the chaos of war. Um, that being said, none were allowed to return, which is also used to strengthen the claim of ethnic cleansing. Uh, that, that said, it's a complex topic. Uh, we are going to try to bring on Benny Morris and Elon Pape for a debate on this. The two leading historians on that. I don't want to get stuck on that. Just we're, we're, we're running low on time, but my personal suggestion on this topic is, and many people are going to disagree with me, we should not get defensive about the past when people were harmed if we want to reconcile. So, you know, if, if, if Palestinians say they were ethnic cleansing and then we get into a semantic argument, well, technically not all were ethnically cleansed, some, some, were, some left, some this, some this. It, th- I mean, that's just not a productive way forward, in my opinion. Again, I'm, I'm putting it out there that many Israelis disagree with this approach. I personally say, acknowledge wrongdoing. Let's move forward. You know, we can't fix the past. We could fix the present. We could fix the future. Let's focus on that. I just view that as a much cleaner and, and better way to, to move the, the conflict forward. Um, and again, it is, it is debated amongst historians, so I want to put that out there. We're going to take two audience questions and then we're going to move it over to the discord for the after party. So the conversation right. will, will continue and uh, the community members will have the opportunity to, to engage with Adiel and, and Faraj um, and also share their thoughts regarding the moderation, uh, the chat, the chat started pretty, pretty good. And then it kind of got a little bit hectic as it moved on. Uh, you all need to know this. Anybody who engages in personal attacks or acts hateful, you're put on a five minute timeout. Okay. That's how it works. Um, you know, and, and don't come back and think you were treated unfairly. No, it's very simple. We have rules. You engage in personal attacks, you're put in timeout. You know, that's how it works. If, if you don't like it, well, then, you know, just don't engage in personal attacks. It's very simple. Um, uh, 
it's always interesting how, how those who get reprimanded for their bad behavior then start acting like they're the victim. But, you know, just just act better. And and interesting, Starhopper, I see you're here. I'm not going to say you acted like a peacemaker today, but you were not one of the people put in a timeout. So that I view that as a, a win for us and uh, an improvement, Starhopper. So good job. Good job, brother. Um, anyways, uh, we're going to take two questions. And then we're also going to have final thoughts. If anyone's new here, please uh, subscribe. We do this every Thursday. We have a lot of interesting discussions coming up. Um, Hold on. I don't see anything worthy of asking. Some of them are some problematic questions. Um, Okay. All right, we're 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 gonna we're gonna move to final thoughts, um, and then we're gonna continue the conversation in the in the after party on Discord. I'm gonna drop a link on Discord. Uh, who wants to go first? Eddie, I'll go ahead if you want, or if you okay, prefer sure. me. Yeah. Um. So I I do want to clarify that my intention is never to to like to diminish Palestinian suffering and say this didn't happen at all, it's all lies, it's all that, because, again, it's just this approach, I know people who use this approach, and this is not helpful. Uh, we do need to to, rec- to reconcile, we do need to um, acknowledge what happened in the past um, and move forward towards a better uh, uh, future. That being said, I am also, for me, it's very important to, again, the nuance. Um, I'm. It, it's hard for me to accept people who say um, it was all ethnic cleansing. It was like I see some comments here saying that the Nakba is our Holocaust. Now I understand that it's like a huge trauma, um, but I do think that when we look at history, we need to look at all the factors, and that like we need to to look at again the 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 nuance in in history and what happened. Uh, this is why for me, it's important to present uh, um, the, the other side uh, of what caused this displacement. Um, that's like just me explaining because I didn't want you, uh, Mo, to, to get offended or like think that I in any way uh, do not acknowledge the Palestinian suffering um, because I very much do, and like I said in the beginning, we we all need to to like acknowledge this, um, like the suffering of the Palestinians in the land of Israel, in Palestine, in uh, uh, Arab countries, in the diaspora, um, as well as vice versa. Palestinians need to recognize our suffering. Um, and again, uh, I, I think like my bottom line is that I don't advocate for any solution, any political solution, the politics of this conflict, I think it's kind of useless to, to uh, like talk about them now. Um, and what I focus on and I tell that to like my followers and people uh, I talk to um, focus on creating ties of getting to know the other side and, um, 
hearing each other's perspectives. Only through this dialogue between us, the people, only through that we can, you know, stop dehumanizing each other and, you know, start working and, and heading towards a peaceful uh, uh, solution and a peaceful future. And um, I said it before, and I, I kind of like got to this realization uh, this past year that a solution is not going to be to bring peace. Peace is going to bring the solution and do whatever you can to get to know the other side. Um, it's like over the past year, I, I, I got to know so many Palestinians uh, for the first time in my life and, and talking with them, hearing about their perspectives, uh, not even talking about politics, just, you know, um, being friends with them and all those uh, like Palestinian workers in, in my hotel uh, that I sit with them for lunch, they already invited me for like Idol Fitter and like they said that they're going to be Knafe um, from, uh, from uh, Nablus, from Shrem. Uh, and this is how we start. That's uh, my bottom line. Thank you, Adia. Uh, so yeah, like I appreciate you, Adia, first and foremost for uh, coming on. I know this, like these things can be very nerve wracking. But I feel like it's the most important thing is for Palestinians is to acknowledge that we as a people have had an experience and continue to suffer under a systematic um, influence from a government. And we need to find ways to correct and uh, to correct the wrongs that have been done to our people. I feel like there are there is room. I do agree with you. I do believe there is room for Palestinians to learn more about Jewish history and more learn more about Jewish suffering. But I feel like the dire uh, situation right now is to uh, bring light to the things that are happening right now to Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah and all the individuals, all these uh, kids that have been getting shot uh, for whatever it is. doesn't matter like whether they're throwing stones or not. I don't think a kid needs to be shot for any of that stuff. And these are the things that need to be brought to light. And thank goodness that there are organizations like Beit Salem uh, that have these things on tape that show the world what is happening and their national community. And hopefully, uh, w uh, if there's any wrongdoing, uh, it would be brought to justice. Uh, I hope that uh, Israelis uh, will learn to recognize that uh, there, there could be unity that does not, uh, that, that is not entitled, to, that there, there could be unity between people without the need of an ethnocentric state and that uh, and that people of different groups can unify under uh, their humanity in order to uh, live a better life and live the lives the way that they want. And so, yeah, I'll conclude by saying that. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you so much. This was great. Obviously we don't agree on everything, but, um, you know, I, I respect you both for being able to engage on such a challenging topic uh, so respectfully. Um, and I think it was also a great experience for the the audience, those who watched, not the ones who just spent the whole time fighting with each other in the chat, but uh, all good. Hopefully next time they'll, they'll tune in and focus on, on what a truly beautiful conversation is. Um, great. We're, we're going to move this to the, to the discord.
I dropped the link one last time. Once you join the Discord, you'll see on the left-hand side, it says Lounge. You click on Lounge, you'll be connected. You can speak or you can just listen. It's up to you, but everybody's invited. Until next time, friends.